of hearing the word together. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, um, we live in a world and in a place where we are surrounded by things that bring us down. But God, would you give us your heart this morning? Would you allow us to be filled with your joy? Would you meet us in this place and allow us to know you more and more? God, would you allow us to recognize what it means to pursue you, but to pursue happiness as well, God? Would you transform our hearts and our minds in your name? Amen and amen. Um, so you may have noticed that the bulletin says that Chad Erlenborn is preaching today, and unfortunately he had um, a close family member end up in the hospital, so he's not able to be with us. So we can continue to pray for him uh, this morning and be together as we worship, but keep him and, your, and his family in your thoughts and prayers. Um, have, have you ever been to a place where you have tried to pursue happiness? Like, have you ever, like, actually really been happy in your mind? Like, can you think back to a time where you were just, oh, yes, that's like, that's happiness on a plate. Like, if I was there, if I was doing that thing, or like, in my heart and in my soul, I was happiness. Like, happiness was a, a thing. And I, I think in our lives, sometimes we associate happiness with individual things. Like, um, for some of us, maybe nature is my happy place. And by the way, I just ripped these memes off the internet. So, like, these are like things that everybody, like people, normal people, just like you and me, feel like this is how, this is what happiness is, right? Um, maybe your happy place is in a, in a library or with a great book. Maybe your happy place is, oh, you can barely see that one. The gym is my happy place, you know? Because who doesn't love sweating it out and um, looking your very best for all of your friends to accidentally bump into you and see, you know? So good. Uh, maybe it's a person. Maybe a person is your happy place. Maybe it's Mickey. Maybe it's Mickey, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a, um, maybe it's your home, you know? Home is my happy place. Joanna Gaines, oh yes, her home, her home would be my happy place. You know, oh, so just like beautifully decored where my kids could destroy everything. It'd be great. Um, maybe for you, something like shopping is your happy place or a place where, uh, this is probably, if I had had to have like a snap decision about what my happy place would be, it'd be something more like this. Like, come meet me at my happy place. Like Disneyland, Disney World, those are like, oh, that's good, that's goodness to my soul, right? Um, but we have, we live in a world and we live in a society where happiness is actually this foundational idea. The idea that we get to pursue happiness is foundational to the country we live in. And that doesn't necessarily mean we do it well, but we apparently have been given the right to pursue happiness. And in the Declaration of Independence, right, it says, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. I don't understand the, you know, the 1700s, they didn't say things the way that I would want to say them. Um, that among them, and that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the pursuit of happiness actually becomes a huge way about how we 
walk through our everyday lives, how we pursue things in our everyday lives. And sometimes that gets us into trouble. Sometimes it can lead us down actual paths of death and destruction because we'll look for momentary gratification rather than um, meaningful long-term happiness. Sometimes our, our happy things turn into struggling in our relationships because it's not good for me anymore. Or uh, challenging or asking like, well, what, where's my self-worth? And then self-medicating through drinking or drugs or from removing ourselves from people in community and, and isolating ourselves from those who support us. But, um, and, and sometimes we have these examples in life where, where I've heard this a number of times, right? Like they can do whatever they want as long as they're happy. As long as you're happy, go for it. Go do that. Like, oh, you chose that awful, terrible thing that destroyed everybody around you, but I'm so glad that you are hopefully happy, right? We, we use sometimes terrible experiences and terrible things to, like, to, to, to frame why, like, oh, yeah, like, they did that to be happy. Like, oh, yeah, the, the awful the awfulness over there, like, they're, they're doing that to be happy or to whatever else, like, and, and we all can see that that's not bringing them real happiness and that's not bringing them real meaning and substance in life, but in fact, it's actually destroying them, and yet we say, ah, and then we do it ourselves. And then we do it ourselves. We, we look into our lives and we say, oh, I know I, I know I shouldn't eat an entire bag of candy, but I feel like it'll make me happy because, man, Halloween and candy, just like, oh, so delicious, so good, right? And you sit down there and you, you eat, and, and I'll speak for myself, you know, I sit down and I eat my, like, five pieces of candy, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not full, I'm not satisfied, I didn't actually like the Twix that much, like, it was fine, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like real chocolate, um, you know, because I'm a chocolate snob and all. Uh, I, I, I am. I, like, I only, you know, if it's imported uh, from, from Sweden and like 99% dark, leave the milk and sugar out of my chocolate. I don't want anything to do with that. But in a pinch, I am, I've been known to like binge Snickers, so it's fine. Um, it's, it's fine, right? Like, it's great. Like, it makes me happy, does it? Right? We, I think we do this in our lives. We... We walk through life and we sometimes imagine that things can make us happy, that, that the way we live life can, can make us happy. And so the next couple of weeks, we're going to be on this journey of understanding what it means to really pursue happiness. And it's framed in the context of Philippians chapter 4. So Philippians chapter 4 verse 12 says, I know what it is to be in need. Uh, remember last week we were talking in Philippians also. This is Paul writing a letter to the church, to the people. He's addressing things that are going on in their lives at this church in Philippi that he planted. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And so as we pursue this idea, as we wrestle with this idea of pursuing happiness, we are going to pursue this idea of Paul who somehow has figured out how to be content, whether in need or in plenty. 
So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would love for you to join, join me in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And if you don't know where that is in the Bible, it's about three quarters of the way through. We got the stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we get Acts. And Acts is a short name for the Acts of the Apostles. This is the stories of the people who followed Jesus after he ascended into heaven. It's the stories of the first churches. It's the stories of how they came to be. And it's often the story of Paul as he goes to these places and tells people about Jesus. And so uh, we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 where Paul ends up in Philippi and how he's interacting with the people in Philippi that would maybe lead us to believe he's figured out how to be content. Um, As you're turning there, uh, did you know that statistically a, a preschooler, a preschooler smiles an average of 400 times a day? A preschooler smiles an average of 400 times a day. A 35-year-old smiles an average of 15 times a day. So somewhere along the journey, we've missed and we've forgotten how to live with joy. Now, I'll admit that my 5-year-old and my 3-year-old probably cry and scream 96% more than I do also, right? (laughs) They, they do. I, I think they've got both ends of the... Ex- but we're going to focus on the happiness part this morning. And we're going to figure out, all right, what is it? What is it that brings meaningful joy? As we, get, as we get older, as we move on in our lives, as we grow and we've lost joy, what is it that brings, that brings real joy? So Acts chapter 16, big number 16, little number 11. Um, we're going to look at the story of Paul going to Philippi. So it says, from Troas, we put out to, out to sea and sailed straight for whatever that word says. Let's be honest. It's in Greek. They just put letters together. And I don't really want to like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to butcher that. And so they went straight to this random city, right? Um, that has no, no meaningful significance. And the next day, on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. So on the giant map, you see Philippi in blue right at, right at the top. They sailed from Troas, which is in ter- modern-day Turkey, kind of on the uh, western border of ter- edge of Turkey along the Aegean Sea, and sailed north up into Neapolis and went over to Philippi. Now, Philippi um, is this place where... Um, where a lot of crazy stuff happens, right? It's a kind of a center, a center, a central place on the path of, um, of trade and commerce. It's a place that kind of has a lot of main highway things and wealth and gold and richness and all kinds of things that are going on in Philippi. And so um, it's a place where a lot of people are. Uh, it's a place where a lot of people are seeking and, um, and, and bringing all kinds of different stuff into place. And, and, and a lot of it is about very, a very global culture, about not ruffling the feathers of everything that's going on. And, and we'll see that Paul is not so much of a 
um, placator. He's more of a feather ruffler. And we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what happens to Paul along this journey. Um, Continues, verse 13. On Sabbath, we went outside of the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered, to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So it's on the Sabbath, it's on, you know, our version of a Sunday, but the, the day when people would go and worship, the, the, the Israelites would go and worship specifically, but they're in a Greek city, there's no place to go, there's no, like, synagogue or temple or anything like that for them to go to. So Paul um, and his traveling companions head down to a place of prayer. That's likely along the water. That's a peaceful place. It's just a, a, a meaningful, quiet, happy place. And their ministry starts super well. They meet Lydia, and, and she's wealthy and has all kinds of stuff, and she invites them into her house, and they tell her about Jesus, and she not only is in a place of being prepared to, to listen to God and to respond to God, but she actively invites them to be in her house, to be a part of her life, and they have a free place to stay. Um, Things are going well for Paul. People are coming to faith. Uh, They have a free place to stay and all the purple stuff they could ever want. Because, you know, royalty, so cool, right? It's a good start for the church in Philippi. But then, verse 16. Once, when they're going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So she predicted the future, which is kind of an interesting thing to do. Um, But what's even more interesting is that this slave girl had earned a great deal of money doing this, and the owners, her owners, made a great deal of money. And so they used her um, for that, and from this demon-possessed girl. So who knows what's going on in her life, but she's clearly being used and, and, probably, mis- and probably abused. And the passage continues, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Days. Could you imagine being followed by somebody incessantly yelling out, whether it's true or not, like what what you're doing, like just incessantly being like proclaiming in the streets. I imagine for me, this would be kind of like, you know, being a knight and going into the joust and you, you would have your caller go out and announce your presence, you know, and tell all the 
all the stories and the lore about how glorious and how, how amazing you were to strike fear into your enemies. And that you would do this, and, but, but for days on end to have somebody who's clearly being misused and abused following you, proclaiming these things. And so finally Paul hits his point of being fed up and he starts ruffling feathers. Verse 18, the middle of verse 18 says, Finally Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And that, at that moment, the Spirit left her. Paul becomes so troubled by the encounter that he casts the demon out of her. And she's finally set free. But what happens? When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope in making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. That's not really what they did, right? They just said, In the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. But they are dragged to the center because this bustling city relies on the commerce of the people. And so to disrupt the commerce, to disrupt somebody's money-making practice in this incredibly wealthy city is trouble. The owners are, are jealous and, and, and pained and it goes from bad to worse. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Stripped and beaten and severely flogged. Uh, this is, this is a, an example of how not, not just that they were punched or hit. This is, this is like getting beaten by the whip with pieces of rock and stone and glass in it. This is like what we imagine when Jesus is going to the cross and he was beaten. Like Paul and Silas take a legitimate beating here. And after they had been severely flogged, they're thrown into the prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. But basically they're left there to die. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stalks. It's funny because if in our lives we had done the right thing and, and interacted in, in the right way and done the right thing, would we not be upset to experience that kind of a circumstance? Like, how would we respond like, would we start to question God's plan for our life? Like, God, we're doing what you want us to do. We freed somebody from, like, awful captivity. We, we freed, like, we're doing what you want. Like, would you shake your fist at God? Would you be like, oh, God, why would you let us have this happen to us? Would you second guess his thing? Because Verse 16 said, once, when we were going to the place of prayer, they were just going to pray. 
They were, they were listening to what God, they weren't arguing with him. They were praying. They were singing hymns. They didn't let their circumstances define God. So, in the story, they are left in prison. And they cry out to God. But not in anger. Instead, they cry out to God in worship. They are flogged and thrown into jail and left for dead and have no idea how they're going to get out. And they cry out to God. Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So you think that this morning, one of the ways that we encounter God, the one of the ways that we seek the pursuit of happiness, that we try to understand how to frame the world, is that, that there's a secret. There's a secret that Paul knows about contentment and about following God, and that Paul, in fact, found joy through worship. That happiness, that, that the pursuit of happiness can be framed in this idea of finding joy in worship. That not in the midst of their circumstances, not in the midst of their pain and their suffering, but in the midst of, in the midst of no matter what, going to God. And then, as a result of this, God does a miracle. An earthquake shakes the jail. Their shackles are broken free and the gates of the prison swing wide open. But they don't leave. They don't leave. They stay. They stay and they continue to do what God puts in front of them. They continue to share who God is. And it's so contagious. The jailer comes to know the Lord. And his family comes to know the Lord because they were never in it for themselves. They were in it for Christ. They were in it for the work of God in, their, in the lives of others. James Chapter 1, verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, this is a common thread that actually joy is something that you can find in the midst of trial, in the midst of challenge, in the midst of destruction. Like we imagine that the only way to get through awful is to numb. That's how our society deals with pain, right? Like, Oh, it's just a little marijuana. It numbs the pain. Oh, like, oh, like the opioid crisis. Like it just, it, it's numbing. Like there's just awful stuff going on in their life and they're choosing to numb the pain. And we see, we see the death and destruction that that causes. But instead, instead of numbing the pain, they embrace the pain. They embrace the trial and yet use it to the glory of God. They replied after, sorry, 
Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. They were, and as a result of this earthquake and everything else, and the jailer, saving the jailer who thought they had all escaped, it says they replied to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And all the others in his house, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Like, he, the jailer takes them, like the ones that, who, who've been left for dead in the jail, and washes their wounds. And then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. See, this movement in Philippi was started in the leader's home. In a a home of rich wealth and influence and all the purple you could want. And it started amazing. And then there was suffering. Then there were beatings and jail time and severe pain. And this is the way that God built his church. Through good times, through great times, through times of prayer and people coming to faith. Times of gathering in influential persons' homes. Times of trials and suffering. Times of pain. And in this context, things are going really difficult. And Paul writes these words. These words that we saw at the very beginning. Because we know the book of Philippians, the letter that he writes to the Philippians was written while he was also in prison. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And one of these secrets to contentment is worship. One of these secrets to happiness is contentment and worship, being satisfied in worship. Because what we worship and how we worship says so much about our hearts, what we sing about, what we celebrate, what we stand up for, what we cheer and declare is beautiful. It says so much about what we value, about what we cherish about what we delight in. See, music is the language of the heart, and it has a way of moving our hearts. If you notice, Scripture doesn't say anything about singing when it goes well. Yay! I won the lottery. Let's sing. Everybody does that. <laughs> Not everybody wins the lottery. If you do, you can share. It's fine. Um, Instead, it says, sing for joy in the Lord, delight in God, open your mouth and declare that God is good, that God is great, that God is worthy of our praise. Um, my, I've had the opportunity to go to some other countries and to interact with some people from other countries who worship differently than we worship. And I think it's really interesting, to be, to be, uh, to be honest, that we worship so drastically different 
than other places. And I, I say that because we worship sometimes very chill, right? Very solemn, very reflective. And there's, there's really good and meaningful things in that too. But when I've gone to other countries, uh, I've noticed a different way of worshiping. A different way of dancing. We, we, see, that, we see it in uh, the African church. As they worship and they dance and they sing and you feel the joy. You experience everything they're experiencing. And their lives, their, their joy is so contagious that you can't help but want to do the dance with them even though you're white and you can't dance. Right? Um, I, I had the joy of going to Brazil and getting to sing and worship with people there. My, my wife, but, but what really popped in my mind, my wife uh, took a group of junior hires to the Dominican Republic. Um, this was maybe eight or nine years ago. And they were doing some service in Dominican Republic, and they pulled out their guitars. And back in the day of oceans and, you know, all these really great, rich songs, and they're singing. And of course, they're singing in English, and the people that they're around are like, why are you so sad when you sing about Jesus? Why, why are you so sad? You know, like, we, we even do that, like, um, if you didn't know the words, if you didn't know the words, uh, he's a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. You're like, Man, that's a bunch of depressing people, right? And that doesn't mean that our worship is bad, but, but it's, it's, it's about how, how we exude what God invites us to, right? The pursuit of happiness, this, this pursuit of this idea of who God is inviting us to invites us to exude joy. I, um, I remember... I've always been a little bit crazy and high energy, and so uh, take, take that with a grain of salt to an extent. But I, I remember being in, like, maybe I was 10 or 11, and I was on a baseball team, and it was all new, new people. Some people on, on the team I knew from in the past, and I remember, like, being like, okay, let's go. Let's cheer for our teammates. Like, let's go. Like, let's chant. Let's cheer and trying to get everybody, and that. Somebody turned to me and said, we don't do that on this team. And I remember being like, but I want to encourage them and I want to be encouraged. Like, why can't we do that on this team? And I realized at that point, the world had taken me from being this preschooler who smiled 400 times a day to saying, it's not cool to do that anymore. Keep it all locked up. None of us want to know you're happy. We don't really want you to bring us happiness either. Just be weird over there. I, uh, I spent a long time working with middle school students. Um, and the way that I interact with kids and students is different than the way that I interact with adults. And there's a good reason for that, because I, I developed this mentality in how I do student ministry. 
that said, if I am the weirdest, strangest, most out there, crazy, fun person in the room, then at least you can be normal, awkward, junior high, crazy. Right? If I am the person who's like, whoa, how are you guys doing today? Let's go! Then they can be fully who God made them to be. They don't have to be stifled by the joy crushingness of adults saying, you can't do that. You can't be that. Act the right way. Be the right thing. I think sometimes in our lives, we get so focused about the impressions of others around us, we forget that the most contagious thing, that the most amazing thing of the pursuit of happiness is when we fully live out our joy, it is contagious. When we fully live out our passion, it is contagious. When we say, we're running for world vision and it's awful, but we're doing it because we love kids and, it, and it's amazing and we're going to be together and we're going to do this because look at how good God is. It's contagious. It hurts. It's painful. I'm not doing it. But it's contagious. It brings a different level of joy. Paul said, I've found the secret of contentment. Have you? Have you found the secret of contentment? In our suburban, in our suburban subculture, we can look back we can look really good on the outside. We can pretend everything's great and put up a wall and a facade. We can drive a nice car. We can have enough money. We can put our kids in sports. We can enjoy, we can enjoy the finer things of life like Disneyland and Joanna Gaines and... We can do all of those things, and even without being happy, happy, joy, joy, we can, we can put on a wall and yet still feel a deep sense of emptiness. And so, if that's you this morning, if you're struggling, if you're hurting, like, I don't want to be crazy happy. I, I can't fake it. But I invite you. God invites us to say, come to him and he'll fill you with joy. Delight in me. Worship me. Experience my presence and I will bring you true happiness. I'm going to pray and as I pray, we're going to receive our offering this morning. Um, if there's a way that you feel like you want to respond, if there's a way that you want to get involved, I invite you again to fill out that Connect card and drop it in the offering as it comes. Pray as the ushers come forward. Father God, may we meet you in worship. May we respond to your presence. God, would you be the answer to us experiencing real contentment.
would you allow us to give you the glory? Would you allow us to trust you when circumstances are hard and when circumstances are amazing? Lord, I find it more often that we blame you when it's hard and we forget you when it's easy. But God, would we praise you regardless? In your name, amen.